welcome to BioEpic, the podcast where we delve into the lives of fascinating people through our special collection of biographies at Kensington Central Library. I'm Claudia Jessup from Kensington Central Library, and I'm delighted to present our 10th episode. Our first ever episode was for Black History Month 2020, and now for Black History Month 2021, we have a really fascinating conversation for you between Jackie Hastick and Isis discussing the extraordinary Mary Seacole and her autobiography, The Wonderful Adventures of Mrs. Seacole in Many Lands, first published in 1857. Just a quick warning to listeners, this discussion does deal with racism and there is mention of some of the racially offensive language that Mary Seacole experienced, so please be aware. Now over to Jackie and Isis for a really stimulating discussion. Hi, I'm Jackie. And I'm Isis. The subject of today's podcast is Mary Seacole, more affectionately known as the Angel of Crimea. Mary was born in Kingston, Jamaica to a Jamaican Creole woman and and a Scottish soldier. She was perhaps most widely known for the work that she did as a nurse during the Crimean War of 1854 to 1856. Her story has good reason to be called The Adventures of Mary Seacole because her life was full of many adventures. She was not only a nurse, she was a businesswoman, hotelier, and an activist. Jackie and I have decided to focus this podcast on Mary because she, as a woman of African heritage, a black woman, presents a really interesting study of what identity was during the Victorian era in which she lived. Um, This was particularly interesting in the emphasis she put on her mixed heritage, particularly the fact that she had, in her own words, Scottish blood coursing through her veins, Um, something that she was extremely proud of. And probably she thought it made her probably a a step above the people that were around her at that time who were enslaved as she was as she was born free um it does sound a little bit contradictory the fact that she really did not describe herself as a full woman of color to which most people looking at her would come very clearly to that conclusion Um, This is something that was really interesting to find out. And um, yeah, it was a little bit hard to get your head around also. But then I think that we, when you read through the book to the times that she was born, in a time that she was born, that this was something that she felt she had to do to give herself that um distinction from what others were going through it's interesting because in wonderful adventures of mary seacole in many lands the editor's introduction places this contradiction really center when it says that yet she is not an obvious heroine for modern times While her snobbery and coyness are counterbalanced by many fine qualities, less endearing are her prejudices against Native Americans, Greeks and Turks, and her glorification of war. In addition, although it is clear from the text that she was proud of her origins, sometimes she conveys contradictory feelings about her status as a black woman. Yeah, um, I totally agree, Isis. She basically um, denotes in the book that she was, because many people have traced my Scotch blood that 
that energy and activity which are not always found in the Creole race and which have carried me to so many varied scenes and perhaps they are right. I have often heard the term lazy Creole applied to my country people but I'm sure I do not know what it is to be indolent. Um, <laughs> um, I'm not quite sure what to make of that. Um, and it seems to be a generalisation, though still through the book, you can still sense, as Isis said, her, pri her, pri her pride in being Jamaican, but not as a person of full colour, which um, I guess afforded her certain privileges that others did not have and which she again was very proud of. So yeah, it's, it is quite contradictory um, when you um, try and piece that together. But it doesn't take away from what was her real strength um, and that the fact that she, she felt that her place in life was to care and tend to others. So if we take a journey through the book, we'll find that it starts in chapter one, really with Mary Seacole's origins, her birth, as she says. Interestingly as well, though, is that she doesn't, in her own words, dwell at any length upon the recollection of her childhood. She talks about her mother keeping a, a boarding house in Kingston and her mother, like herself, was a doctress. She talks about uh, growing up and yearning for medical knowledge as a child. And also that as she grew into womanhood, she was very, very interested in travel. She really wanted to travel. So it seems that really from, from an early, early uh, stage in her life as a, as a child, she, she really was very clear about what she wanted to do. She wanted to be a doctor, doctress like her mother, and she wanted to travel. And then she talks about leaving Jamaica and making her way to England. And we come back to the issue of identity when she gets to England, because she was 18. And she talks about her reception and how she was perceived, her, both her perceptions of London, but also how she was perceived by the English people around her. And she says, strangely enough, some of the most vivid of my recollections are the efforts of the London street boys to poke fun at my and my complexion, my companion's complexion. She's of course talking about the fact that she's with a, with a friend. I am only a little brown, a few shades duskier, than the brunettes whom you all admire so much. But my companion was very dark. An affair, if I can apply the term to her, subject of their rude wit. So again, she makes a contrast between her and her friend who she describes as dark-skinned. She talks about how she spent time in England and acclimatised and then she returns to Jamaica. So this is really the start of Mary's accomplishment as a travelled young woman. And it sets the tone really for the rest of the book, which, as you will see, um, the sections that Jackie and I talk about, it's really very much concerned with her moving from space to space to space. Um, she suffered, when she went back to Jamaica, um, she, yeah, she met someone and she got married. Not that she mentions him by name. Um, it wasn't a long marriage. And I think when she met him, he wasn't very well at the beginning. And this was the first time she'd been in a relationship at all. And this was her first sense of grief, of loss. I think her mother 
she lost her mother soon after. And um, and again, I mean, another thread that runs through her life is besides the issue around identity and around uh, um, travel is also illness mm -hmm. because there's an outbreak of cholera in Jamaica when she's returned. Yeah. And that's where she feels that she is at her strongest is when she's helping others and she was nursing people through this illness, this devastating illness. Um, and the fact that she could do this in the country of her birth made her, I think it more strengthened her direction in life. This is definitely wanted what she wanted to do. And she wanted to travel. It opened her eyes to more travel and to be practicing what she knew, what she'd been taught. Um, because she felt that's where her desires were leading her. Um, through this, I think Mary, it was, I think the whole, her whole journey through travel opened her eyes to how people perceived her as well as she perceived herself. Because she saw others through a different lens. And she was also seen through a very different lens, depending on what part of the world she was in. Exactly. Exactly. I think it also reminds us that during that time, that period of time, that illnesses such as cholera were, you know, decimated societies mm -hmm. because there were a lot of people who were impoverished. There was a lot of poor, malnourished people and they obviously succumbed to these diseases. So when we find ourselves in chapter three, after the loss of her mother and her husband, she has now begun to travel again. She makes her way to Central America to join up with her brother in a place called Cruces. I hope I've pronounced that correctly. So when she arrives in this area of the world, she is ushered into a hotel that her brother runs and she very very quickly despite the fact that she has to adjust to the new environment she very quickly finds herself back in a situation where she is administering to others she's working with her brother running the hotel and then of course there is another outbreak of illness and she starts nursing or doctoring and becomes a very, very integral part of the community because at that time there were no doctors in the area. Um, it, and it also happens um, when she, during this outbreak of cholera, unfortunately for her, she, unfortunately, in some ways for her, she, um, a baby died in her arms and she discovered that through this child, she could possibly find out how cholera goes through the body and to better, and to better tend to people. So she did her first and last post-mortem on this child just to discover what causes, what it does to the body and how she could best treat it, which, is amazing that she would have that kind of foresight in order to try and I think it's just to specialize on this disease which she knew was going to be traveling that she would come across again and again um so I mean for that to have that kind of forethought I think is incredible you know um that she her drive and her sense to to really I don't know if it's to cure everyone um but to be of complete to have to have some kind of um how would you put it well she was really motivated by yeah. by, by 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 fighting disease exactly and curing people and curing and you people see later in the book she really talks about that I mean for her she wanted to be where there were sick people yeah it's really it's a it was a real um calling yeah that 
that was the best way for it yeah that's the best way of putting it I have to say it's extremely admirable because I wouldn't want to be there and she puts herself at great risk and by chapter five she explains how she herself contracts cholera Mm -hmm. she says when it became known that their yellow doctress had the cholera I must do the people of Crusade the justice to say that they gave her plenty of sympathy would have shown their regard for her more actively had there been any occasion. So she had now gained the respect of that community so much that they were really concerned for her and were interested in her best, well, they they had a best interest at heart. So she herself contracts cholera. Uh, She gets over it. But it's interesting as well in this chapter how we really start to understand how she relates to Americans. This throws up another contradiction in her identity. Most definitely. She was very um, virulent in her distaste (laughs) of Americans. Yeah, and the way that they were treating people of colour, Negroes. Um, the fact that they they were still enslaved, or as they as she put it, they still own their bodies, um, and she found it abhorrent, to say the least, that they were doing this so openly, and truly, and she witnessed this, um, and despite other countries being made just as involved. Um, for example, England, unfortunately, and enslavement, and enslavement. Um, she she kind of saved all her anger and and put and pushed it towards the Americans. Um, and it was pretty clear to see where where she stood, and she basically generalized the country <laughs> on that standing. I mean, I wondered if if part of it was because. She was so tied up with a relationship to England because of her Scottish father and obviously in Scotland being colonised by the English and being seen as partly England, especially then in Victorian times, whether she was unable to hate that side of herself or, or, or be critical of the white English side of herself. But she was happy to do it with the white American side. I mean, because she really does not like the Americans and she's so critical, but she's very, very forgiving and 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 almost proud of of England yeah uh, yeah that was um definitely I think that was a, a huge part of it that she refused to even believe that they would have any part of anything like that because yes because of the connection um and and I think she felt that she was almost yeah it was a loyalty for sure that she had for for Britain and because of her father and because of the part they they they're um I guess because they were in Jamaica and that is what the Jamaicans yeah knew Victorian as well. society was, yeah, was, was very much predicated on I mean it was Great Britain yeah you know there was this idea you ruled Britannia Britain Britain British exceptionalism uh, uh the sun didn't set on the British Empire yeah so yeah, and she 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 seemed to have swallowed that hook, line and sinker, really. Yeah. So. But she still, yeah, her distaste for, as you describe, yeah. the Americans showed that she still had a sense of her identity, even yeah. if she wasn't able to express it. Yes. So then she start she actually leaves Crusade, and she says, uh, and it's interesting again because once the cholera epidemics over and she's kind of nursed the people and stuff she starts to feel that she gets you know she gets itchy feet again she's clearly a traveler she says and it was not long before I grew very tired of life in crusade although I made money rapidly and uh, pressed my brother to return to Kingston poor fellow it would have been well for him had he done so for he stayed only to find a grave on the isthmus of Panama. So sadly, she loses her brother. So again, we see that she's lost her mother, obviously her father, her husband, and now her brother. 
So a lot of a lot of uh, examples of illness, death, and loss. Yeah. Yeah. Mary Seacole, she did not have an easy life. Not at all. So she then makes her way back to Jamaica, back home. But before she leaves, she makes, I mean, the, in, you know, this is her autobiography, she, which was a bestseller, by the way. Mm -hmm. she, she really does spend some time in chapter six talking about how much she was she was respected and loved in Crusade, or Crusades, rather, and that she talks about farewell dinners and and people, you know, addressing her uh, as Auntie Seacole. Uh, they're giving speeches about her, talking about the wonderful things she's done. And she, you know, it's interesting. She says she's tired of the place, but she seems to really have, a, have uh, enjoyed the way she was treated. Um, this... Uh... <laughs> In chapter in chapter six, um, there was a part. There was an actual uh, section in the, the chapter that I found really interesting. Um, she was having a toast. There was being a toast being given to her um, at a dinner, and um, the gentleman who was giving the toast was regaling her. And more or less saying that they were thanking her, you know, drinking a toast for Auntie Seacole. Gentlemen, I give you Auntie Seacole. We can't do less for her after what she's done for us. When the cholera was among us, gentlemen, not many months ago. So I say, God bless the best yellow woman he ever made. From Jamaica, gentlemen, from the Isle of Springs. Well, gentlemen... I expect there are only two things we're vexed for. And the first is that she ain't one of us, a citizen of the great United States. And the other thing is, gentlemen, that Providence made her a yellow woman. I calculate, gentlemen, you're all as vexed as I am that she's not wholly white. But I do reckon on you rejoicing with me that she's so many shades removed from being entirely black. And I guess if we could bleach her by any means, we would. And thus makes her as acceptable in any company as she deserves to be. Gentlemen, I give you Auntie Seacole. And it's interesting because that chapter is really where she's actually uh, celebrating the fact that they were celebrating her. Yeah. I mean, I personally, I, I would not consider that to be... A very positive thing to be said about me at all. Not, not at this all. day and age. Not at all. But again, it gives us a real snapshot, a real glimpse into how people's mindset was so different around race and identity. Yep. In Victorian times. For sure. Um, but I will give Mary Seacole her, if I may say, props. As she returned, I mean, she answered him back and said. Gentlemen, I return you my best thanks for your kindness in drinking my health. As for what I have done in, in Cruches, she says, Providence evidently made me to be useful and I can't help it. But I must say that I don't altogether appreciate your friend's kind wishes with respect to my complexion. If it had been as dark, if it had been as dark as any niggers, I should have been just as happy and as useful and as much respected by those whose respect I value. Yes, uh, again, we, you know, the language that was used in that time was obviously quite abhorrent. It was abhorrent and, but it was said later in the book that she, she basically answered them in their vernacular. This wasn't language that she used on a daily basis at all. And she'd never described black people in that way. Um, but she was responding to how they had addressed her. Um, I mean, but late, yeah. Later on, in, in uh, towards the end of that chapter, as she's now making her way from 
who shares from Panama to Jamaica. She describes the incident when she boards a steamer and is in the company of her little maid, as she calls her, and they pass through the crowd of female passengers on the deck. And they're looking for a, a saloon where they can be on their own. And she says, before I had been long there, two ladies came to me and in their cool, straightforward manner questioned me, where are you going? To Kingston. And how are you going? By sea. Don't be impertinent, yellow woman. By what conveyance are you going? By the steamer, of course. I've paid for my passage. They went away with this information, and in a short time, eight or nine others came and surrounded me, asking the same question. My answers, and I was very particular, raised quite a storm of uncomplimentary remarks. Guess a N woman don't go along with us in the saloon, said one. I never travelled with a N yet, and I expect I shan't begin now, said another. While some children had taken my little servant Mary in hand and were practising on her the politeness which their parents were favouring me with. Only, as is the want of children, they were crueler. I can't help it if I shot my readers, but the truth is, that one positively spat on my poor little Mary's frightened yellow face. At last, one old American lady came to where I sat and gave me some staid advice. Well, now I tell you for your good, you'd better quit this and not drive my people to extremities. So again, that's an example of how racist the Americans were overtly racist and perhaps explains why Mary made the distinction between American and English people's attitude towards people of African heritage, towards black people. Yeah. As she would have said. Yeah. Or they would have said. Yeah. So chapter seven is really taken up with yellow fever breaking out in Jamaica. So now we have a situation where she's dealt with the cholera. Now she's dealing with yellow fever. And how Mary once again is at the forefront of dealing with this illness, nursing people in Kingston. Um, and Mary's gift or calling knew no, um, had no prejudice. She genuinely treated anyone that was sick. Um, she didn't have a preference about, I think she just saw a, a human body, a person, and wanted to make them feel better. Or if there was nothing that she could do for them, she was at least there for them to give them comfort to the end. Um, and that was one of her greatest gifts, that she was able to do this with, a, for want of a better word, with ease. Um, even though she, I mean, she doesn't really go into, and in parts of the book, there are parts where she skips over, she just doesn't go into detail. And it's mostly about her more private things, things that are more personal to her. But she will go into more detail when it comes into when it comes to her tending for people and caring. And even though she does spare us from, you know, the real the more gory details of it, she will give it, she will give us more information when it comes to that. So um this was something that I thought that ran through the book, that you got a real sense, you, 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 yeah, you got a real sense of who she was in that aspect. But everything else she more or less kept to herself. 
I find. I think her more personal, unless it was something to do. I don't know. Even when something was happening to her, she still she still went into more description when it was happening to somebody else. Mm. And she more or less kept her own feelings fairly tampered down. She, you know, she was quite circumspect about how she felt at any given time. But definitely when she was talking about um, her, the more caring aspects of what she was doing and tending, she would go into a, a lot more detail. Um, and she would also say, which is, you know, how people were extremely thankful to her for the care that they were given. Um, she also said at some point, at one point, that if they had money, they would pay her. She would be generously rewarded. Uh, but for the most part, she took nothing. She would do it for nothing. So that wasn't the driving force for her at all. So it appears that she made quite a bit of money yeah. nursing because she was the only doctress in the whole area when she was in Crusades. Yeah. So by the time we get to chapter eight, it really is the beginning of her connection with the Crimea. And she talks about just before she left Jamaica, how war had broken out against Russia. And of course, the Crimea is really part of what we now know as Ukraine. <laughs> so she had a calling. Besides wanting to travel, she she loved being in I mean, as I said in the in, in in the editor's note, she did somewhat glorify war and seemed to love being in in these war torn areas in mm -hmm. battles. Perhaps it was her passion for healing, but she seemed to really want to be in these places because one has to wonder how this woman from Jamaica would want to find herself all the way across the world in Russia uh, or in a cold, freezing climate, tending to the dead and the injured. However, she talks about the fact that uh, before she even left Jamaica, she was looking at a map. Someone had crossed off where the Crimea was <laughs> and she was kind of envisaging finding her way there. So then she, in 1854, she's in London just before the first major battle of that war, which is the Battle of Alma. Uh, and uh, she's um, thinking about how is she going to get herself over to yeah. the Crimea. Um, yep, yeah, she said that she, you know, as time wore on, the inclination to join my old friends of the 97th, 48th and other regiments battling with worse foes than yellow fever or cholera took such an exclusive possession of my mind that I threw over the gold speculation altogether and devoted all my energies to my new scheme. She also says, you know, that she I made up my mind that if the army wanted nurses, they would be glad of me. And with all the ardour of my nature, which ever carried me, were inclination prompted, I decided that I would go to the Crimea. And go I did, as all the world knows. I mean, that is her affirmation, really. Yeah. And, and again, it shows that this is a very determined woman. She really is very, very determined to go wherever she wants to go, to be free to do what she wants to do, to travel the world and to pursue her passion for healing the sick and the wounded and nursing in war-torn battle yeah. zones. Yeah. A very unique woman. Very unique. And you could... You could completely justify why she was looked upon as a heroine because these journeys that she was undertaking she was doing by herself and you know for the most part even though I she did have some help as we will go on to say in eventually getting there but the initially she was driving she was self-driven um yeah, and she had to overcome the hurdles because, of course, we know that even though her identity and how she saw herself was questionable in 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 relation to kind of like whiteness in uh, in the UK, 
it wasn't questionable in relation to whiteness how others saw her. So when she makes up her mind that she's going to the Crimea, she makes an application to the British War Office in order to become a nurse. So she says that uh, what she thought she'd do, first of all, was to write to the um, War Office. She says she described herself as being the right woman in the right place and even making the comment the reader can fancy my audacity was to apply to the war office for the post of hospital nurse among the diseases which i understood were most prevalent in the crimea were cholera diarrhea and dysentery all of them more or less known in tropical climates and with which as the reader will remember my panama experience had made me tolerably familiar now, no one will accuse me of presumption if I say that I thought, and so it afterward proved, that my knowledge of these human ills would not only render my services as a nurse more valuable, but would enable me to be of use to the overworked doctors. But others thought so too. I took with me ample testimony. I cannot resist the temptation of giving my readers one of the testimonies I had, it seemed so eminently practical and to the point. So she armed herself with a number of testimonies in order to support her application. Of course, her application was not accepted. Um, oh, yeah. And she went on. She, I mean, she was that determined. She um, gained an interview with the Secretary of War. Then she transferred it to the quartermaster general because she was getting no joy. And then she found out about Florence Nightingale. And she applied to be, uh, she once again, I tried, had an interview this time of one, of one of Miss Nightingale's companions. She gave me the same reply and I read in her face the, the fact that had there been a vacancy, I would not have been chosen to fill it. And I think at that point, then she realised that she wasn't going to get anywhere going down this route. But so she so wanted to be there and she was desperately trying to find of a way in which she could get there. Um, and uh, she found a way. <laughs> she found a way. And her first thought was, I think, was opening a business there um so she could be of help it, was, it wasn't only a business it was a place where injured soldiers could come to as well so it was a business bar hospital and that was her room like the convalescent the convalescent home. home exactly so she you know that was her route in which to get to get there and she did with help um she was very resourceful and yeah and clearly her her experience of trying to be posted to the British War Office has an effect on her. Because at the end of chapter eight, someone who's been very, very positive about England in most cases, she says, so cheered at the outset, I watched without a pang the shores of England sink beneath the smooth sea and turned my gaze hopefully to the as yet landless horizons beyond which lay the little peninsula to which the eyes and hearts of all England were served so earnestly directed. So, cheerily, the good ship ploughed its way eastward, ho for Turkey. So she basically doesn't look back, turns mm. ahead and says, you know what, no, no pangs for England, I'm off to Constantinople yeah. and I'm going to make my way to the Crimea. Yeah. She also said in this chapter as well, which was very telling to to more to the point of what you're saying, she says, was it possible um, because of that she'd been completely turned down from every avenue um, that American prejudices against colour had some root here? So this was the first time she she made that connection 
or even thought the way that England could feel, could think the same way that America did as well, where, where race and colour was oh so very important. Um, yeah, so that was a very um, telling moment, I think, for her, that she made, that she questioned her beliefs that had so far, like you said, held strong. <laughs> so she's thrown up by chapter nine. We realise she's really this voyage is really a voyage. I mean, it really is an adventure. She she goes to Constantinople, to Malta, Gibraltar, uh, you know, and of course she meets Mary Knight, um, um, Florence Nightingale. <laughs> Excuse me, not Mary Nightingale. Mary Seacole <laughs> meets Florence Nightingale. Finally, face to face, because of course they've corresponded, but they've never met mm -hmm. until that point. So yes, Mary Seacole's adventures are really underway by this point in the book. Yeah. Um. I mean, she says uh, again, you know. <laughs> In this chapter, she's really again talking, you know, evidencing how much she really wanted to help. Yeah. She really had this compunction to just help people. She says, at some slight risk of giving offence, I cannot resist the temptation of lending a helping hand here and there, replacing a slipping bandage or easing a stiff one. But I do not think anyone was offended. And one doctor had with some surprise and first alarm on his face watch me replace a bandage which was giving pain said very kindly when i finished thank you ma'am so even though she's not technically working there she's still in there and and trying to help out she really can't resist helping doctoring as she calls it tending to people yeah. She, she talks quite extensively as well about her her, her meeting with with Florence Nightingale, yeah. who was uh, described as having the entire management of the hospital staff. And it seems as well that you know Florence Nightingale is is quite dismissive of of Mary Seacole. She describes Florence Nightingale as a slight figure in the nurse's dress with a pale, gentle, and withal firm face resting lightly in the palm of one white hand while the other supports the elbow, a position which gives her countenance a keen inquiring expression, which is rather marked. So that's how her and Florence Nightingale first meet, where Florence Nightingale is kind of leaning on one arm and almost um, scrutinising Mary Seacole, it appears. Um, yeah, she was Mary Nightingale by all intents was not that um, welcoming to what? Mary, um, but it's almost said that the way that Mary described her showed um, an equal, <laughs> um, I would say dislike Disdain? Disdain would be a better word, yes. An equal disdain towards her. I guess it's something that she could sense. So um that that was that was their relationship in regards. I think it was a case where they were just working alongside each other. Never together. But it was more of an alongside, like the, the two of them were um we're basically tolerating the other, for want of a better word, because we're both they they because their results, what they wanted to achieve, were were the same. They wanted to ease people, they wanted to help, but you know, obviously, yeah, their their um relationship was never going to be um smooth. So, which. Yeah, I mean, it kind of like um, solidifies why Mary's efforts, as we know later on in time, 
basically disappeared. Um, we weren't, we were, we all knew about the lady with the lamp, which is Florence Nightingale. And it was, like I said, a hundred years after her death, nobody spoke about Mary Seacole. Up until that time, you know, until her death, she, you know, she came back to England after the Crimean War and and people furnished her and not glorified her, but they, they, they were grateful for what she had done. But then she just faded into obscurity. Um, well, one could also conclude that at the time that these two women were both nursing and doing what they were doing, women themselves, even European women, didn't have equal rights. No. Uh, it was a very genderized, misogynistic, patriarchal, I'll use all three together, society yeah. that they both lived in. And perhaps the idea of two heroines, two famous women was too much. So, yeah. of course, the white woman was elevated to the, ex to the well, yeah, to the disadvantage of the non-white woman. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's, and it's, Mary just disappeared. Yeah. And had to uh, wait her turn to get some recognition. So in terms of, of, of the story of Mary Seacole, I mean, really, from chapter 11 onwards, it's a quite in-depth account of the various battles that she, she uh, nursed at, the process of travelling around, well, from basically from Constantinople in Turkey down to the Ukraine. It charts how she got there, the various things she she encountered, the British hotel where she based herself, uh, because clearly she wasn't allowed to be a nurse officially, so she yeah. had to, to have a space. Um, and it, it's quite an in-depth uh, account of what was going on at that time yeah. of the war effort. It, it's um, yeah, I mean it, it. You know, besides the fact that this book tells the story of a woman of African heritage, a Jamaican woman, who at a time when, you know, enslavement was still rampant in many parts of the world, yeah. discrimination uh, and, and uh, oppression of people of African heritage was half of the cause, it was just standard. It tells the story of an African woman who really overcame so many obstacles and just pursued her ambitions through thick and thin, really. Very much so. Very much so. Um, and I think as well, through, through this journey, I do, I would like to believe that Mary started to see, like I said before, she started to see herself in, you know, differently to other people's eyes because the more she traveled the more she became aware of how people perceived her and that skin color was very important oh so very important and it didn't it didn't matter the tone um i mean she was a trailblazer and yeah and one could i mean you know the, the the fact that she did what she did, yeah. that she became the angel of Crimea, perhaps in itself went some way to changing perceptions. I mean, chapter 13, which is really in-depth about, entitled My Work in the Crimea, is a, 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 again a section where she says, and this really sums up how what she was doing was changing perceptions. Mm. Don't you think, reader, if you were lying with parts parched lips and fading appetite thousands of miles from mother, wife or sister, loathing the rough food by your side and thinking regrettably of that English home where nothing that could minister to your great need would be left untried. Don't you think that you would welcome the familiar figure of the stout lady 
whose bony horse has just pulled up at the door of your hut and whose panniers contain some cooling drink, a little broth, some homely cake or a dish of jelly and blancmange? Don't you think under such circumstances that you would heartily agree with my friend, friend Punch's remark? That berry brown face with a kind heart's trace impressed on each wrinkle sly was a sight to behold through the snow clouds rolled across the iron sky. I tell you, reader, I have seen many a bold fellow's eyes moisten at such a season when a woman's voice and a woman's care have brought to their mind recollections of those happy English homes, with some of them, which some of them never saw again. Yeah. And yeah, that sums up what, what she what they thought of her. Yeah. And that she was just an angel. They weren't looking past anything. It's just the fact there was a female, a soothing voice, somebody who was caring for them at their hour of need. Um, and that's all they saw, that's all they felt, that's all they wanted. Um, and Mary was providing them that. Yeah. I mean, her nursing or doctoring was, you know, extended beyond uh, just the medical side. She was actually providing social care as well, food yeah. and drink. And yeah, like you said, you know, even just comfort in, yeah. in being there. Yeah, it's definitely. So yeah. really, we, we, we're sort of coming to the end of, of Mary's wonderful adventures. Yeah. She kind of really spends chapter 15 really talking about the horrors that she sees her first glimpse of war and some of the awful things that happen um and then by chapter 19 the war is coming to an end and uh she's making her way back to england and again we see in chapter 19 an, an interesting way in which she thinks of herself so she's talking about before you know peace is declared the armistice is being signed and the russians you know are, are now um basically uh, withdrawing so she she describes a situation where she says i was one of the first to ride down to the shania and very much delighted seeing the Russians to see an English woman. I wonder if they thought they all had my complexion. So one wonders as well how, how, how she was perceived by the Russians. And again, this is one of the things that comes through very strongly in the book. Because she travels so much, her identity can be perceived quite differently depending where she is in the world. Yeah. And we know that if we look at the current situation today, even though we, as people of African heritage, don't, well, we certainly don't, <laughs> the, the podcast is here today, mm. ascribe to this notion that we are not one people, we're not black people, African people, depending on the skin tone, that uh, even though you know, things are really different. We still know that our identity is fluid and that in one space we could still be described in one way. So in, in America and in, in England and Europe, we might be perceived as black, but there are other places where we might be perceived differently. So this is another interesting thing about identity and, and, and race and, and culture, etc. Yeah. And just to know that this was, this was, shown so beautifully in this book that you know that it did come down it, it didn't come down to just color because that's but it was a really interesting aspect of Mary Seacole's life and her experiences um that she had that she had so much she had a lot a great deal of pride in who she was and who and how she, what she ascribed to, 
and in in her writing in this book it did not come down purely to color she didn't do things because it's you know the only time that became that came into a fall was when there were crimes being committed against people of color or it was brought up to her um which you know i think in some in in different aspects i think that's the way it should be where it should not it should not matter where you come from what color you are you know it's something so simple as the the what mary wanted to do which was to care and to tend and to heal um that should never be a, a, a subject at all um but it was um and she did not ascribe to that at all this is because you could tell that by who who the, the people that she treated it was anybody that needed her and she did not she did not care um yeah i found i personally find this really interesting um from that from that aspect because we all have our own idea of who she was because before this there was so little known of her so you know and that was commonly known and publicly known that's what i mean um because like i said she worked for 100 years she was in obscurity it was only until some nurses came over for the caribbean um and they wanted to see her grave and and that was what brought her back into people's eye you know mindset basically into people's minds i mean you know mary mary seacole they had heard that name but they just didn't know where and in what way and um it is an honor to be talking about her it is an honor to know that there is a statue for of her <laughs> you know and that she has truly begun to be um acknowledged not, yeah acknowledged and respected for everything that she did and i think it's important to say that the conclusion of the book when she returns to england she she takes a difficult journey back she doesn't mm -hmm. take a straightforward journey and i think this for me sums up really her calling to nurse and to be in these war zones she talks about really what what came of, of of what was the result of what she did and she says let me in a few words as possible state the results of my crimean campaign to be sure i returned from it shaken in health mm -hmm. i came home wounded as many others did few constitutions indeed were the better for those winters before sebastopol and i too had worked not to feel their effects. For a little labour fatigues me now. I cannot watch by sick beds as I could. A week's want of rest quite knocks me up now. Then I return bankrupt in fortune. Whereas others in my position may have come back to England rich and prosperous, I found myself poor, beggared. So few words can tell what I have lost. But what have I gained? I should need a volume to fairly, to describe that fairly. So much is it, and so cheaply purchased by suffering ten times worse than what I have experienced. So Mary Seiko really gave her life, yeah. her health her wealth in order to take part in the Crimean campaign and to nurse those soldiers. And as you said before, final recognition with a statue in 2016 that was unveiled at St. Thomas and Guy's Hospital. Mm -hmm. So check that out. And of course, she's buried in the Catholic section of Kensal Green Cemetery. Her grave is you can you can ask at the office and they will direct you to her grave you can also google it and you'll see it's very distinct with the with the um carvings or the, the etchings on on the stone so yes 
The Wonderful Adventures of Mary Seacole in Many Lands truly is a wonderful adventure. It truly is. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this is of great interest to you because it was truly interesting for us and to be able to discuss such a great woman. Um, and um, yeah, goodbye for now. Goodbye for now. Thank you so much again to Jackie and Isis for that fascinating discussion on Mary Seacole for Black History Month 2021. And just to remind listeners, our special collection of biographies at Kensington Central Library is a unique collection of almost 90,000 biographies spanning 200 years of publishing. Uh, if you go to our website, www.rbkc.gov.uk slash libraries, you can look at the catalogue and filter it so that you can look specifically for books in that collection. You can also phone us on 0207 361 3010 to ask us for a particular book that you're interested in or simply visit us at Kensington Central Library, Fillimore Walk, Kensington W8 and you can ask a member of staff to go into the biography collection to get a book for you. We'd be very happy to do that. Thank you and we look forward to joining you again next month. Thank you.